Hello and welcome to Out and About in Barovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Balfour. As part of my job as Member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Malovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm looking forward to talking to James Eglinton, a lecturer in theology at Edinburgh University. Well, James, thank you for having us. Um, New College, what is it? New College is the School of Divinity at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, It's a school where we teach theology and religious studies. It's really prominent in Edinburgh on the cityscape. It's the building at the top of the mound with the two towers. Um, A lot of people know it as the assembly venue. Uh, This winter, it's the building with a massive sign saying Edinburgh right in front of it, just in case anyone was in any doubt as to where we are. So New College has been around for 176 years. Uh, It was founded in the middle of the 19th century by a guy called Thomas Chambers, um, with the goal of being the first faculty of the new, modern, and also distinctively Christian university that was set up to rival the historic Edinburgh University that was there. Um, An idea was that it would be initially a faculty of theology that would then grow and take on all kinds of other faculties and then be another university within Edinburgh. So that never happened. Uh, Then it eventually was absorbed by the University of Edinburgh in the 20th century. So that's where we are now. So uh, we're a school of theology and religious studies. And what's your role within that? So I am a senior lecturer. I've been teaching at New College for, uh, I think, 11 years now. Um, so I do all the kind of normal things that an academic does. I give lectures. I So I teach students at all levels and their undergraduate degrees and also postgraduate. So I supervise PhD students. Um, academics all have a lot of admin to do as well and the, the way that the academy works now. So I have admin things that I need to do every day and um, I research, I write articles and books um, so I, I do all the kind of generic things that academics everywhere do. Um, my own specific um, training is as a theologian. So I have a specific post at the School of Divinity that is in Reformed Theology. Um, so it's a post that is there to ensure that people who study theology at New College, in particular people who are training to be ministers in the Church of Scotland, um, have someone who teaches Reformed Theology that they will engage with. So Reformed Theology is the theology and the tradition of the Protestant Reformation. And um, it's a big thing for listeners who might not know that it happened in the 16th century across Europe that really changed the world. Uh, and as we know it today, and also had a huge impact on Scotland because Scotland became a Protestant country at that point. And then, um, so the, that's the kind of history that informs um, a lot of Christianity in Scotland today. So my position is a specific one and that I work on um, theology in that tradition. And I'm there so that people who are training to be ministers in um, churches in that tradition as well have someone that they will definitely engage with at some point in their studies who'll help them think through that tradition. So what is a typical first year new college student? Um, first year undergraduates is, um, yeah, so think about it like that. Um, there's an assumption that a lot of people have about the kind of students who would choose to do a degree in theology or religious studies that that they're all um, you know mega religious themselves or that they all want to be you know priests or church ministers or something like that 
Um, that impression is way off the mark for the average first year undergraduate. Um, the average first year undergraduate usually has done theology or religious studies in secondary school and thought that it was a really fascinating subject and then they wanted to go on exploring that and then use that as their, uh, as their degree focus. Um, but it's certainly not the case that they're all planning to be um, you know, ministers or vicars or something like that or, or priests. Um, in fact, quite a small minority enter the, the school with that kind of idea. So for a lot of them, it's more just something that they're really interested in, that they're interested in pursuing an education in. But um, it's not even the case that the majority would even self-identify as Christians either. So they're, they're from a really uh, diverse array of different backgrounds. Um, I think the average undergraduate first year is it's probably from the UK, I think the majority, but it's also a really international school with students from all over the world. Um, the average first year postgraduate, like a PhD student, is quite different. They come at an older, they're generally a bit older, they've done a degree or two before. Um, they are predominantly international um, and they, um, they do quite often have like a background in religious institutions they've worked as ministers and churches and that kind of a thing and then they're pursuing a really focused specialization in at a doctoral level um, but the undergrad and postgrad first years are quite a different kettle okay. of fish so obviously we live in a, a secular country now we live in a country where probably most people wouldn't identify with a specific religion or denomination within the christian faith and yet you're receiving millions of pounds of taxpayers' money. What's the justification for teaching theology in 21st century Scotland? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we don't just teach Christianity in the first place. So we have scholars who are experts in Islam, in Buddhism, in Judaism, um, as well as scholars who are experts on lots of different areas of Christianity. Um, and we also have scholars who study non-religion well, non -religion as well. It's another part of the complex um, ecosystem of, of belief in Scotland today. Um, the way that we teach theology doesn't presuppose um, personal belief on the part of our students, um, but we try to teach them to think through the, the logic that informs the lives of billions of people across the globe today. Um, and that, that logic is internal religious logic. And it's a really profound motivation for people and how they act. Many people in Scotland as well um, are deeply informed by religion and how they think and how they act in the world. But if you want to try and make sense of the world more widely, especially outside of the West, uh, you want to try and make sense of the World Cup at the moment with all the complex political um, issues and human rights issues in the background. Um, if you know zero about religion and if your university exists but has no voice on religion at all, um, then that university will not produce people who are, who are very responsible global citizens and who are able to make sense of complex global phenomena. Um, so I think there's a really strong case for the importance of having theology and also having religious studies in a university like ours, because I guess the way that I, that I put it to people sometimes is that Edinburgh isn't an overwhelmingly explicitly religious city it's quite an irreligious place the levels of religious engagement through institutions like churches or, or mosques or synagogues and so on are, are quite small so it's a it's a university in quite an irreligious city but it's a university that's in an overwhelmingly religious world and we're not a local parochial institution that's only interested in addressing things within edinburgh or even within scotland 
Um, as an institution, it's really important, I think, that the university is able to contribute globally and produce people who can um, contribute well in, in the, the flourishing of, of the world. And that's an exceptionally religious environment. So I think that there are really strong arguments there as well. So it's inclusive in that you, you don't have to sign up to any particular creed to come and do a degree with us. Um, but we will help you understand the world better and also understand Scotland better as well. Um, Scotland is uh, also, its history is deeply informed by all kinds of religious and theological matters. And its present as well is, um, is also deeply informed by that. So how did one end up being a senior lecturer at um, New College? Because I think, having looked at uh, your blog, you, you kind of went off, did law, yep. then into kind of theology. <coughs> how did you make that jump? So when I was in my last year of secondary school um, in Inverness, where I'm from, I did a higher in RMPS, in Religious, Moral and Philosophical Studies, and I'd never done anything like that before, and I absolutely loved it. It was a really electrifying environment in the classroom every day because we were you know, 16 years old or 17 and getting to discuss major existential questions, but in a really serious way, and we were having to read texts by very... You know, sophisticated thinkers addressing all, all these huge issues and um, I just I loved it I loved the stuff we were reading I loved the intellectual challenge of that um, and I loved the the way that these ideas are so um, discussable like they really provoke conversation um, so that class was just great I, I absolutely loved it and had a brilliant teacher who had a huge impact on on me um, but then I did a law degree in Aberdeen as an undergraduate, but um, one of the beauties of the Scottish university system is that you can do a degree in something like law, but you can make up quite a lot of your credits outside of that focus. So when I was in Aberdeen, I did a year of um, theological courses in the School of Divinity there. I did New Testament and I, did, I learned Greek, um, the kind of Greek that the New Testament was written in for a year there. And really didn't get the theological bug out of my system. So I finished my law degree and um, then went on from that to study theology. Um, I came here to Edinburgh, but not to Edinburgh University. I went to an institution that was at that point called the Free Church College. It's now called Edinburgh Theological Seminary. So I did a degree there and really loved it again, um, but really wanted to do a PhD beyond that and... Um, develop a, a kind of higher level of research and, and also try and train to be able to teach other people in that kind of higher educational setting. So I, when I finished my studies there, I went to Edinburgh University for my PhD. So I did that for three years and um, completely loved it again. It was an amazing experience. And I did that on a Dutch theologian, a really interesting early 20th century guy who was a really complex thinker, thoroughly engaged with everything that was happening in the world around him. So he was a real treat to get to study so i worked on his his writings for three years and got my phd um, and because i'd worked on him i'd learned dutch because his work is mostly untranslated and through that i met a lot of people in the dutch university world as well and then after i finished my phd i, I got a job at a dutch university so i spent three years over there um working and again loved that experience it was just great um and then after that, a post came up in Edinburgh. And um, so it was originally as a lecturer. And so I was in that post for a few years. And then um, you asked me, how does one become a senior lecturer? So I had to do a ton of work and write a really big book um, and work very hard at a lot of different things, teach a lot of classes. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I got to where I am at the moment. To, to, to bring it back more locally, 
there's a lot going on within politics now, which touches on ethics. Mm. So we've got um, agenda reform bill. Mm -hmm. uh, probably we're going to be looking at assisted suicide. Um, there's issues around identity. How do we approach these issues from an ethical perspective? And for someone who maybe you know hasn't got the time to go to New College for four years, mm. how do you suggest you know we engage on these issues in a way that will help us work out our answer to it? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. A huge question. Um, well, I guess what I try and do in, in my position within society to help contribute there is, um, so I recognize that as an academic, I, I have, I'm in a really privileged position in a few regards. One is that I've had, I've been given the time and the space to try to learn to think clearly about complex issues and a particular kind of training that, that enables someone to do that. And then also as an academic, I also have time to, to read and to write and to think still as part of my ongoing you know, working routine. And recognize that most people in society just don't have that privilege. So it's a really unusual position to be in. So the way that I try and use that to contribute to society is to write for newspapers on particularly ethical issues. So I write a lot about issues that relate to religion and public life, but also ethics and public life uh, on some of the issues that you've mentioned as well. Um, so I think that I try and contribute in that sort of a way. So I, I write fairly often for the Times, sometimes for the Herald, I've written for the Scotsman before, um, to try and, um, I guess, use the kind of position that I have as an academic where, you know, I'm not affiliated to any particular political party, I don't work for the government, and I probably have a bit more freedom to try and um, ask hard questions, particularly of politicians, <laughs> Um, through that kind of op-ed column um, forum. So I think you know, I would encourage people listening um, where they can to um, to look out for things that, that I think particularly academics who write for the public and who, and who see themselves in a humble kind of way as public intellectuals. And that doesn't mean that you think you're some kind of celebrity out there. Uh, it means that you, that you recognize that you've got... Um, just again, a particular training that means that you can make a distinct kind of contribution. You know, you can analyze big complex debates and then you know how to ask one really hopefully insightful or incisive question that will prompt a lot of other people to think. Um, academics who do that, I, I think, um, you know, there are a few of them that I follow as well that I really try and learn from. Um, I think it, it's, it's important to remember that the academics who contribute to national conversations like that on these kinds of ethical issues um, you know, they're, they're not in it for the money or anything like that. They're not in it for fame. They, you know, they stick their heads above the, the parapet a bit and make themselves a bit vulnerable as well. But, um, but there's, I guess, the, some of the experience that I've had with working with newspapers is that I'm also aware that as an academic writing on that kind of a forum, I'm also in quite a privileged and free position in comparison to a lot of journalists who work full-time for newspapers because... Um, you know, I have a complete free reign as to what I can address. And that's part of the value of having opinion writers who are not themselves uh, you know, members of staff at newspapers. So I think maybe academics who do that kind of stuff are um, 
maybe like an under undervalued resource sometimes in public debate. So I think that's maybe one way to answer the question. So there are people out there who are um, making a contribution that, that is really worth paying attention to. I mean, within that public debate, I mean, it's again, it's interesting. I mean, I know you are a Christian yourself. Mm -hmm. And quite often people will say, well, look, you can't bring God into this. You can't bring your faith. You know, we, 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 he should be left at the door. This is a secular country. Mm -hmm. um, why, why bring religion, mm. why bring Christianity into the debate? Yeah. You know, again, uh, interested to know, you know, what's your justification yeah. for coming in as a Christian on this? Yeah, indeed. Um, and that's a, a question that I've had from lots of people over the years. Um, so I think so. The, 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 the way that we define the word secular is really important. I think there are two ways that people in Western countries at the moment define the word. Um, one is the idea that secular means we've just left God behind. Uh, it's a kind of view of society as progress, that, that that's a kind of an infantile, childish thing. Society doesn't need it. We all know that God doesn't exist, so therefore we just move on. So there's something regressive about doing like thinking about ethics in a public way in a way that um factors god into the equation um so that's one way of des describing or defining the word secular another way of defining the word secular is that we live in a society that's truly pluralistic and that it's secular in the sense of you can live here and be a, a citizen and take part in the institutions of society and have a voice and also look for political representation whether you are a christian or a muslim or a buddhist or a jew or an atheist or a humanist or whatever so society as a model of pluralism that doesn't assume that we've all outgrown religion instead it's a way of saying the world is a really diverse place and we should find ways to live well alongside one another so i I really dislike the first model of secularism. I think, you know, the, the idea that we should just all outgrow this and it should just be obvious and self-evident that nobody really believes in God anymore. I do, and I think there are really good reasons to do so. And there are plenty of people in the world who are far smarter than I am who also think that. Um, and it's just patronizing to, to be on the receiving end of that kind of definition of secularism. And it's just not fair. I think it's like intellectually, it's a form of arbitrary discrimination to say that some viewpoints shouldn't even be aired when I think that they're really reasonable grounds for those viewpoints. Um, but the second view I think is a really important one and that's a view of the, the word secular that I try and fight for and defend and say that it's a really good thing when people of different religions can fit within a society together. And that's really costly and difficult and uncomfortable in lots of ways, but I think it's really important. So um, I think if, if the first definition of secular doesn't have a monopoly on that word, then uh, I, and I don't think that it should at all. I think that it's really problematic. If the second view is the one that is the one that we're holding on to, um, then I just don't see any reason why. Like, why should I be excluded from thinking in public on the basis of my Christianity about ethics, for example? I think it'd be really discriminatory if uh, if you were to say to someone who was Jewish or Muslim, um, "Hey, you have to leave that behind, and you have to pretend that you're not Muslim or that you're not Jewish the moment that you talk about ethics in public." That, that just to me seems really unfair it's not the kind of society that i want to live in so i think for me a kind of pluralism uh, means that i i should have a place in there just as i think that my religious neighbors of, of other faiths should also have a place our time's nearly gone i i always like to finish with 
uh, one question. If I gave you a, a magic wand and you could wave it, what would make New College even better? What would make the experience of students a better place if you could wave your wand? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I, th I think for a lot of us at the moment, if you could wave the if you could wave a magic wand, it would um, bring a long-standing um, building renovation project to completion <laughs> immediately. So um, we we have this remarkable historic building. I said earlier on that's really visible from the centre of Edinburgh, um, but it's you know it's an old building and that that is challenging to inhabit. So we've we've we, it's been a bit of a building site for the last few years with a, a massive fire renovation, fire safety renovation project that's been dragging on and on. Um, so honestly, I think my immediate wish would be if, if we could just do that, um, just wave the wand and um, have our building in complete, completely finished state at the moment. Um, I think if I could change, if I had a magic wand where I could change one thing other than just finishing the, the building works and having our, our lovely building uh, ready again for everyone to fit within, um, the cost of higher education in the West is, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's spiraling all the time. And especially for students who are, um, you know, from the majority world, for example, if you want to come to Edinburgh to do a postgraduate degree, to do a master's or a PhD, it's just so prohibitively expensive. And we as a school also don't have any control over how much our tuition costs. Um, also for students from uh, closer to home, again, but who um, but who find university a really financially challenging place to be or experience to have. Um, I think, it, so if I, if I had a, maybe not like a magic wand, but a magic money tree, <laughs> I think it, it, I would want to try and address a lot of those issues in terms of basic affordability for people because um, you know, we can offer a, a really amazing environment for education that will help you interpret the world um, and also think think big thoughts about huge existential questions about about God, about the, the meaning of life, about all those things. Um, but we have to do that in a particular financial climate that's it's just really difficult at the moment because of how, how much it costs. So yeah, maybe shake the wand in that direction. Thank you. And thank you, James. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk. It was great to hear from James. It's been interesting to hear about his work at New College and the way he's influencing future generations. We'll put a link to their website in the show notes and you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About the Melovians and I look forward to catching up next time. Mm -hmm.